Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do before we start the Bible teaching time. And I would like to remind you of something that I said two years ago today. Because I know my sermons are so amazing, you have every word memorized from what I said two years ago, obviously. So I want to say something again, because I don't believe there's anyone in the culture who's going to say it, but the Bible does say it, and we're people of the book, right? Okay. Hallmark Channel is not good at nuance. TV ads that are trying to sell you something are not good at nuance. Our book tells us that we rejoice with those who rejoice and that we mourn with those who mourn. So as Christians, we are able to say that Mother's Day is an incredible day for some women in the room and online right now. Mother's Day is a very difficult day for other women in the room. And for some of you ladies, it's a very complex day. Is it possible that you've got a couple of kids and you've got a great relationship with them, but you have a very painful relationship with your own mom? So Mother's Day is tough and it's amazing at the exact same time. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Okay? And we as the church, we love you deeply. We want to be compassionate toward you irrespective of what your experience is. So we are not going to do the hallmark thing. The hallmark thing, we put on our smile and act like everything's fine no matter what. There's no possible way that you're hurting today. That would be heartless. That would be naive. That would not be biblical. You might be having an incredible today, day today. And if you are, we celebrate with you. If it's mixed, We are with you and in your joy and in your sorrow. And if it's a really, really lousy day, we are with you and we love you. We love you. And we're not going to abuse you by forcing you into a box where you have to put on a fake smile. You feel whatever you want to feel, whatever you need to feel. Because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the great physician. And that's not just a physical doctor. He does works in the heart. All right. Now the sermon, the actual sermon. Did everybody get sermon notes who wanted them? If you need a copy of the Word of God, please slip a hand up. We got awesome volunteers that are handing out Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, the one we're about to hand to you is a gift to you. Awesome. Yeah, just keep that hand up. They're coming around. Keep this Bible. It's our gift. In the Bible that we're handing out, turn to page 651. Everybody else, if you happen to know your way around or type your name into a a digital Bible, type in the word Jeremiah. We are going to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Oh, no. I didn't send you guys the link to that video, did I? (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. You guys are missing out on a really funny video because I'm a goober. That's all right. 
So if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series called Victory. When, when Churchill did this, what was, he, what was he doing? It meant victory. What was he doing, though? He only did it when the cameras were around, right? Yeah. He's trying to capture the heart and keep the heart focused of an entire nation. Right? What were his words in that video we watched a few weeks back? We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing ground. Like, there's no place we will not fight. We will not stop. We will never surrender. And for the church, I find that to be a powerful message because on Jesus' cross, he achieved a number of different types of victory you and I could not have possibly achieved. When he raised himself to new life on Easter morning, what we call Easter morning, he achieved a number of victories we could have not have possibly achieved. And because God is love, it's not just a thing he knows about or something he practices, he is love, he took the victories and he gave them as a gracious gift to his church because he loves his bride. He laid his life down for his bride. And so we are now in week six out of 10 if we were honest, biblically, we probably could have gone a lot longer. All the different victories that we have in Christ. Uh, but we're doing 10 of them. Today, we're talking about victory over despair. I know there's absolutely nothing that's happened in the last 14 months that would ever cause you to despair. But there have been a few things that have tempted me toward despair. You guys, I know it was a, a bowl full of cherries and a bed of roses. But for me, there were a couple of rough things. No? No, maybe they're rough things for everybody? Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, when we read this text, this is not to invalidate anybody's experience, but when we read this text, we're going to be shown there are worse things than 2020. Just a little bit. So, Jeremiah 29. Let me get over there. I'm not going to read the opening to this letter because it has a bunch of large Babylonian names that I can't pronounce. Nebuchadnezzar, actually, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar I can pronounce because when I was a teenager, they made Nebuchadnezzar the pickle, right? In, in Veggie Tales. I'm like, oh, okay, I learned how to say his name. Okay. Right? I was 15, 16 years old, been raised in the church, and as soon as Veggie Tales came out for all the little kids, I'm like, okay, that's how you pronounce it. All right. Verse 4. If you're new to church, I apologize. Anyway, I'll show you Veggie Tales one day. It's great. So here's a message from God through the prophet Jeremiah to a bunch of Israel who have been taken off after a terrible, brutal siege, been taken away from their homeland to a faraway place called Babylon. Verse four, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Is, is that an introduction or is that an introduction? Any of you guys start off a letter that way? You guys just wrote a note to your mom, hopefully this week, if she's still with us. Dear mom, this is from the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel. No, probably not. Okay, so this is big. This is big because of who it's from. He is big. Is what he says to all the captives that Nebuchadnezzar exiled. No? Did I read it right? Pastor Greg's not a very good reader. 
You guys have to hold me accountable. Is that what it said? To all the captives he has exiled. Uh Uh-oh. Does that make it sound like God is mean? He, He doesn't seem to be hiding from what he did. What he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Here's the statement. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And I'm not going to read the rest, but you guys know, uh, if you've been around church, you know verse 11. It's exciting later on. He's talking about the promises of this captivity is going to end, and I've got blessing planned for you. Holy Spirit, would you please teach us what you've got to teach us today, what you have for us? Would you please show us what you were trying to say to the people of God through Jeremiah? We ask for this grace, God, because we just don't have the capacity on our own. We just don't have it. We ask this in the merciful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. Amen. So it would be pretty easy when I'm reading this tiny little section of instruction, I'm not reading the entire book of Jeremiah to you, for you to ask, hey, what's so bad about Babylon? I'm glad you asked, so let's spend a minute on that. First of all, we just need to own it. Americans do not know the first thing about somebody else winning a war. Let alone, hey, we're going to take 10% of your population, all the best and brightest, out of North America, off to wherever our capital is. They're going to be forced to learn our language, forced to learn our culture. We will strip their names from them and give them names in our language and in our culture. We can't even wrap our heads around this one. If you grew up in a different country, war-torn country, maybe you can wrap your mind around this one. If you grew up in church, you might remember that Daniel and then Rakshak and Benny or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four men in the book of Daniel were amongst the best and the brightest. They had wisdom, they had knowledge, they had capability, and they were a part of the first group to be ripped out like a resource. I went through all the trouble of conquering you guys. Now what can I get out of it? And these four men were ripped out away from, in some people's minds, away from the presence of Yahweh, their God, definitely away from the holy city, away from the temple, which they mourned, which had been destroyed, and stripped of their names. They weren't allowed to have Hebrew names anymore, and they were given Babylonian names. Wow. Name, which is identity. Like, you're going to go through the boot camp of Babylon. We're going to make you Babylonian, and you're going to serve the Babylonian government. Huh. But there's a problem. They don't worship God here. They just killed a bunch of our people. They just destroyed Yahweh's temple. These are godless, evil Tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, died in the process 
of them conquering us. And now a bunch of us are away in Babylon. They do not look like us. They speak an entirely different language than us. We have no idea what they're saying. We don't know what the currency exchange rate is. We don't know the laws. We don't know the customs. Well, we see all these temples to gods that we've been told not to worship. This isn't good. This isn't good. Not a single one of these exiles asked to be in Babylon. Anybody know what it feels like to have rough circumstances you didn't ask for? So these things happen. These things happen. These people of God, and we know from scriptures, they were a part of a broader culture-wide sinning against God. They did not avail themselves to the blessing and protection of the Lord. They went after other gods. It's like God said, you want to worship other gods? Fine. Babylon has other gods for you to worship. And God actually tells them why they're going and why they're going, how long they're going. You're going to be there for 70 years. For 490 years, you have neglected my Sabbaths where they were supposed to take a year off and allow the land to rest and allow the people to rest. And they had totally ignored the law of God. He says, you won't take time off? I'm going to give you time off. Anybody here not taking time off until you had a nervous breakdown and your body said you're going to take time off? Okay. Your body will only put up with so much. A vehicle will only put up with so much. A machine will only put up with so much. An animal will only put up with so much. A plant will only put up with so much. And our loving God said, you will do rest from time to time. And in a part of Israel saying, God, we're smarter than you and we're going to worship other gods, as a part of that, they had neglected anything that would provide debt forgiveness to their fellow Israelite, the year of Jubilee. They had not given rest to their land. They had not given rest to themselves. And so God said, okay, how about a lovely vacation? We're gonna go there in chains and you're gonna rest. And don't worry, there's no lack of hope. In 70 years, I'm gonna bring you back. And that's where we get into the fun part of the story, Nehemiah coming back, rebuilding the walls, some cool stuff like that. But right now, what is there? There's despair. To say that Babylon is a large empire would be an understatement because the people of God have been suffering under Assyrian oppression for a very long time and Babylon just showed up and wiped Assyria off the map. Again, as Americans, this is really tough for us to wrap our head around. So for those of you students of history or if you perhaps are old enough, which I really, really doubt, try emotionally in this World War II motif that we've been using as an illustration, try to emotionally go back to what the world thought when France surrendered to Germany because France was a major power, Germany was a major power, Britain is a major power, the Soviets, okay, America was, she just didn't know it yet. Nobody was expecting Paris to have a swastika flying over it. And so Assyria, who we hate, get taken out, and we go, wow, we hate the Assyrians, this is wonderful, but wait a minute, Whoever these new, newfangled Babylonians are, they must have a really big army. If they took out Assyria, this is, this is big. Oh, wait, they're coming for us? Guys, here's the point. 
Nobody wants to be in Babylon. The people of God don't want to be there. But sometimes the people of God find themselves in Babylon. Sometimes the people of God find themselves surrounded. And everyone else, it's like they're speaking a different language than you. Everyone around you has different values than you. They have a different relationship with money, with sex, with relationships, with work ethic, with what family means. And the people of God didn't necessarily ask for it, but they're there. I know this doesn't resonate with any of you, but I'm just saying theoretically. Theoretically, you could be surrounded by people who see the world very different than you. So what are we gonna do about it? What do you do when you're surrounded by people who are not going to worship the same God as you and you're not gonna worship the same God as them? How do you get along? There's not an equal power dynamic. The power's all in one group and it's not you. Anybody here feel like Christians had a bigger voice in America 50 years ago than they have now? That was an easy one, folks. That was a low-hanging curve right over home plate. Okay, so what do we do? Oh yeah, Babylon, they're big, but scary. Don't go there. Okay, here are two of the temptations of Babylon in your first blanks. Abandon God or abandon people? Sounds rough, doesn't it? When I just say it that fast, does it sound, does it sound like good options? The people of God surrounded by evil doing, we could be evil and in the same vein, at the same time, be highly engaged with the culture around us. I know the newest songs. I know the most popular authors. I'm all involved in the politics, like this is my home, even though this is not my home. Jerusalem's a thousand miles that way. I can be totally culture engaged, culturally engaged, totally abandoning the commands of my God, who, what? Who delivered us up out of Egypt. Do these people, do, do we in this moment think Babylon is actually stronger than Pharaoh? That's the temptation of forgetting our history, Right? If God can smash Pharaoh, then what's he doing with Babylon? The other temptation is to abandon people. I'm going to be holy in my personal behavior, but as a part of that, I'm going to totally disengage with the culture around me. (laughs) You guys are going to hell. I'm going to work really hard on my own personal behavior because I'm a good Christian. I'm going to do lots of good stuff. And Jesus is going to judge me when I go to see him at the pearly gates. He's going to judge me and I will have worked really hard to do good stuff. So I'm good. You guys, however, are toast. Way to be popular. Right? (laughs) How to win friends and influence people right there, number two. Okay? Tell me that you cannot see these two groups right now in America. While calling yourself a Christian, you could be very, very casual about holiness and maybe just toss it aside. Still call yourself a Christian, leaving others kind of scratching their heads. Or to work personally at holiness, but I don't know what on earth I'm supposed to do with Babylon, so I'm just going to insulate myself behind walls. I'm going to hide. For 1,700 years or now, we've called this monasticism. I'm going to go be a monk behind a wall and I'm going to be really, really holy behind that wall. Okay? 
It's going to be awesome over there. We're going to read a lot of scripture, sing a lot of songs. But what if the Almighty God said that there was a third path? Would we be interested? Crickets. Would ARCF be interested if God spoke up and said both of these are wrong? If God spoke up and said there is a third path, would ARCF be interested? I hope so. I really hope so. Christian, when you're tempted to despair at the moral state of Babylon, here are three things we need to know. And they were right there in the text. God placed you there. Ouch. You're despairing at the moral state of Babylon. God placed you there. Quick trivia time. Who's smarter, God or me? Yeah. Who loves me more, God or me? So I can't, I can't doubt his love. I can't doubt his wisdom. Ouch. Let's, let's, let's swallow the tough pill first. I'm in Babylon because God said so. And as I've been saying now for almost three years, every time we stare down the barrel of our interaction with God, we're always going to get back to the same exact issue, faith. Same issue every time. Do I trust God? Will I choose to trust God when it's hard? Will I encourage my brothers and sisters and help them trust God when it's hard? We don't know whether the paralytic trusted Jesus. We know that there were four men who would trust him so much they'd dig a hole in the roof and lower their friend. Will I trust him? When you're tempted to despair at the moral state of Babylon, know that God placed you there because he said that right there in verse four. God has instructions for you now, verses five through seven. So no, no lazy bones, no sitting in my lazy boy, channel surfing like God. Well, God clearly lost the battle in North America, so I'm just gonna bide my time and wait for glory. Is, right? There's a temptation toward laziness. Well, there's no hope, so I'll just wait. Lord Jesus, come back. I grew up hearing that one. Lord Jesus, come back. Also, and I don't, please don't take this as um, unnecessarily critical. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. But Lord Jesus, come back sounds a lot like somebody who doesn't have enough non-Christian friends. I don't want Jesus to come back today. I have too many people I'm praying for. I don't want him to come back yet. I want him to save my friends. He has instructions for us right now in Babylon Church. And he's smarter than us. He loves us more than we love us. He loves the world and he loves Babylon way more than we do, obviously. And he's given instructions, which we're gonna go through slowly in just a minute. So when you're tempted to despair at the moral state of Babylon, remember God has placed you there. God's given you instructions for while you're in Babylon and the verses I didn't read, but you probably already know if you've got a background in church, your assignment is shorter than you think. Your assignment is shorter than you think. Anybody ever had a very tough task, but you made it through because you knew exactly how long it was gonna last? The Kaiser household in the late 80s all weapons were the same. Three weapons with dad's belt. I'm not saying that, that that's exactly what you guys need to do with your kids, but I'm just saying that's how it was. Okay? 
I knew how it was going to be. And although I didn't like the first whack, I didn't like the second whack, I knew that all weapons were the same. Three whacks in the Kaiser household. That's how it's going to go. Anybody ever here known exactly how long your suffering was going to last? I hate this job, but so-and-so offered me a new job, and I'm putting in two weeks later this week, Bethany Smith. Yeah, we know. Like, I can get out of here. I know because I've got the job offer somewhere else. I can put in my two weeks. It's going to be amazing, right? I'm going to get out of here. Now, I'm only 36 years old, so I need somebody with some gray hair to testify. I need my brothers and sisters with gray hair. Put a hand up if time flies. Okay. If you, uh, some of you moms, you gave birth 40 years ago and you remember it like it was yesterday. You remember your daughter being so little. You remember your son being so little. Or, you know, I'm doing the math with my grandma. Um, you became a grandma 20 years ago. Praise God. Um, life is short. And that's not just some cute thing to put out on Facebook. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is trying to pound it into our heads. And Jesus agrees saying, hey, um, like, so flowers, sparrows, these small things, your father sees you, Ecclesiastes comes alongside and says, hey, flowers, um, you know how quickly grass withers and flowers fade? <laughs> if you don't like Babylon, first of all, great. No one is supposed to. It's a punishment. I'm not telling ARCF you're being punished by being in the US of A. I think we have it a lot better than a lot of others. We really do. Um, I'm in a class right now, the history of the modern Middle East, and watching how um, different Christian and Shia groups were treated during the Lebanese Civil War in the 70s and 80s by a, a, a Sunni majority was just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. I'm not saying that we're necessarily, you know, that America is our Babylon in some political sense but she is absolutely our Babylon spiritually. She's every nation on earth is a Babylon. And we see at the end of the book that every Babylon bows the knee after making war against the one whom they pierced. Every Babylon is going to bow the knee. I'm not saying you should enjoy it. We're not gonna enjoy people rebelling against their creator. No one's gonna enjoy that. Not if you have the heart of God. but the assignment has a definite duration. When Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah, hey, it's gonna be 70 years. Do you think that the audience received it differently depending on how old they were? Imagine having a five-year-old son when you hear that and you think, my son might get to see the temple again one day. Maybe. Right? Life is short, brothers and sisters. So, and here's the actual meat of the sermon. We're gonna ask that question. How are we gonna live out victory in Babylon? Let's ask a silly question first. Who's bigger, Babylon or Jesus? Okay. So Jesus wins every battle, right? 
I just want to be clear. Sometimes we act like he's lost or he's losing. He wins every battle. Okay. And here are instructions from the God who loves Babylon. And we're flabbergasted. God, how could you love Babylon? Put down roots. First blank. Put down roots. I'm going to read the text again that has all of this. Five, six, and seven. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you, that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Brothers and sisters, put down roots. Let's, let's uh, go for a moment, just inside our own hearts. If God is telling an oppressed, captive people to put down roots amongst their oppressors, surrounded by evil and idolatry, what does that mean the human inclination is going to be? We're going to live in tents. We're not going to build houses. He just told the people of God to build houses. That means they weren't doing it. That's a big investment. Go through all the trouble of building a house. See, the people of God to this point, they had a history of how we started off. We started off in tents. You see, our father Abraham was in a tent. He started by moving out of this filthy place that we're in now, Babylon. He left here. That's how despicable this place is. And he was a nomad. And even as he was slowly starting to see by faith some of the promises of his generations behind him being a blessing to all all the world, he was a nomad. His son was a nomad. He was a nomad after that. And then we journeyed. We sojourned down to Egypt. We sojourned back. We sojourned for 40 years and God kept us miraculously alive. There was a lot of sojourning for a very long time. Oh, and in the middle of that, there was a time where God said, hey, I am about to deliver you by smashing Egypt into the ground. Take a perfect lamb from your flock and I want you to cook it with some bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And I want you to wear your traveling cloak and carry your walking stick in your hand while you eat. This is very abnormal behavior. And God told them right there in the moment why they were going to eat the Passover meal dressed for travel. Because he said, that's how fast I'm gonna deliver you. You're going to blink and the power of Pharaoh will be crushed. And so let's not judge our brothers and sisters in Babylon who are going, hey, we should keep our cloak on and keep our walking stick in hand. Because, right, those with the most faith, they really trust God, they're letting God be as big as he really is. They might be thinking, well, Babylon's just another Nebuchadnezzar, just another Pharaoh. Maybe God will smash him too. And that's a reasonable assumption. He's done it before, he'll do it again. But then God, the smasher, says something. Hey, I'm not gonna smash. I mean, I will, but that's 70 years away. Right now, I have mercy for a rebellious people. Even though my justice demands that I take care of business one day, right now I'm gonna be patient because I am patient. I'm gonna be merciful because I am merciful. And what is Yahweh's message to Babylon? Babylon. 
his people. Babylon, I've sent you missionaries. I've sent you emissaries that live right amongst you, that worship me and know me, and they can teach you all about me. And their lives are gonna shine like the morning sun. You're not gonna know what to do with them. They do marriage differently. They do money differently. They do parenting differently. They do business transactions different. Babylon, I have a gift for you. It's my people who are called by my name. Church, are you okay if your entire life is a gift to Babylon? An undeserving, rebellious people deserve a gift from an incredibly gracious God. Do you know that when we embrace Babylon as the mission field, we're acting just like Jesus? Do you think the world was all cute and loving and everything was great? And when everything was great, Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna take on flesh. I'm gonna become a human because Herod's a nice guy. Caesar is kind and respectful and he's starting elections this fall. Wow, he's woke. Super democracy flowing out of Rome. No, the world was a mess. The world was a mess and Jesus entered in. Church, we get to act like our savior when we enter into the mess. It's a privileged place. First command to a people seeing Babylon all around them, get cozy, build a house, plant gardens, put down roots. In pursuit of gold and glory, Hernan Cortez came across the Atlantic from Spain, landed in what we today call Mexico, with 600 men. When you think of what the population of the area most likely was at the time, 600 men is just crazy small, even with European weaponry. And then he horrifies his captains and the 600 600 infantry he has with him when he orders them to burn the ships that just brought them from Spain. Go there emotionally for just a second. About 500 years ago. You're in this place, the new world. We know almost nothing about it. We just know that we're in search of gold. We're exploring. We're making up maps or whatever. And we come back and the king and queen are happy with us. Maybe we conquered something while we were there. But if things go sideways, what do you do? you get back in those nice, big, pretty boats and you leave. And he burned them. What are the 600 men thinking? What conclusion do they come to as they watch their escape route burn? There is only one path forward now if we're going to survive. And what's that path forward? Victory. Victory is the only option. Because we're not going to run. Brothers and sisters, God has told us not to run. He has told us to build houses and to plant gardens, even in Babylon. 
The people of God do not run away because Jesus did not run away. And the church has never run away. Jesus said what? On this declaration of what Peter just said, like, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Important, I'm gonna keep saying this until we get it. Deep down, are gates offensive weapons or defensive weapons? Gates are defense. So what does that say about the church? We proactively attack hell and we do it every single day. This is who we are. Hell wants the created and the creator to be forever divorced. And we attack that and we attack it and we attack it with what? The reconciling gospel that Christ's blood washes away sin. That's our weapon. We do not run, we burn the boats. The second thing God told us to do, told the people of God to do is to expand their influence. We might not think this at first as we read verse six. We're like, well, this is about procreating. Yeah, procreating is about influence. He said, in your despair, and this is like quite easily proven across as long as there's been data. During depressions and recessions and war, birth rates drop dramatically because there's not an optimism about the future. That's why the baby boom was the 16 years after World War II. Yay, everything's gonna be great. Peace, you know, it's, it's gonna be wonderful. He said, do not give in to despair. Have children. I've already given you all the commands about how to raise them to love me and fear me. You're going to unleash influencers onto Babylon called children and grandchildren. Expand influence. Our brother Jonathan Edwards, arguably one of the greatest leaders of the Great Awakening, preaching throughout New England about 50 or so years before we 40 years before we became a country, uh, the U.S. Can you imagine preaching to tens of thousands of people in the open and field with no microphone? Isn't that crazy? He and his wife had 11 children. And a historian in 1870, out of curiosity, did some careful work and looked at all of the about I don't know how many, at that point it was, five or six generations of who, how those 11 kids turned out and their kids and their kids and their kids from this godly legacy of a man who loved Jesus passionately and was not afraid of the New England prim and proper where everybody's gonna go, oh yeah, of course we're all Christian. He's like, no, you're not. You're probably going to hell. And then let's back it off a little bit from there. Um, Tens of thousands of people came to Christ because this guy would not assume that they were Christians in a Christian culture. A historian looked at all of his generations, and by 1870, the direct descendants of Jonathan Edwards, one U.S. vice president, Aaron Burr, a dean of a law school, a dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergy, 285 college graduates. Now, not everything should be measured by profession or education, but that's still pretty impressive, isn't it? And it's not out of nowhere when you read what he and his wife wrote about the way that they trained their 11 children 
you're not totally shocked. They took the discipleship of those 11 very, very seriously. They embraced parenting as the most high contact discipleship that the church has. Any Sunday school teachers felt like you gave your heart and soul for that one hour, but if you didn't have mom and dad's support, you were like spitting into the wind. Sunday school teachers do such an incredible job, and yet, what about the other 176, however many hours, right? There are a lot of hours in a week. A lot of hours in a week. Church, when we are surrounded by Babylon, we have been told to put down roots and plant gardens and have kids and grandkids to the glory of God. Especially on a day like Mother's Day, I'm not gonna go all tone deaf and say that that's obviously something that every family is entitled to biologically. In a broken world, that may not happen that way for you. But there's too much Bible teaching that is so clear that our spiritual progeny are not always our physical progeny. Can I get an amen? Paul says to Timothy, my son in the faith, whose dad and granddad are conspicuously missing from his spiritual genealogy. Paul steps in. Like, you need a spiritual father. If that's me, fine, let's go. I wanna teach you how to love Jesus. Church, we've been told to expand our influence in Babylon. That's not only acceptable, it's a command of the Lord to expand our influence. We were also told to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. I'm running out of time here, so you guys are gonna just have to drink in this text for yourselves during the week. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. This is my grandfather, Wayne Davis. He served in the Navy from 50 to 54, so this is at any point in there. The story I'm gonna tell is not from this time period, but that's just the picture that I had. He passed away in 1991, and as happens when people die, you hear a lot of family stories that no one was willing to tell, right? But one of the good ones, very good ones, I think, that was so precious to my mom. A woman came to the funeral in 1991 and came up to my mom after the funeral in tears. And she just, whoa, she just really like had that moment, like, I recognize you, we went to high school together. And mom didn't know this, this happened. But mom never knew until this point. She said to my mom, I was making a lot of very poor decisions when we were in high school. And my dad was not really in my life. And I cannot count the number of times where I was at a party drunk and I did not know who else to call to get me home safely. And I called your dad over and over and he left the house at two in the morning and he came and got me and took me home. Church, There are all kinds of things we can do to seek the peace and the prosperity of those around us. There's no limits to the kinds of things we can do. Just be a blessing, be a blessing, 
be a blessing, be a blessing. Somebody needs a dad, we can do that. We can do that. The last thing we're commanded is to pray for Babylon. Again, Jesus is gonna later say, love your enemies, pray for them. So he's gonna be echoing what God already said through Jeremiah. Pray for the city. And I wonder if the people of God listening to Jeremiah, I wonder if they did not think perhaps when they heard this of their spiritual father and genetic father, Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. I'm one of them. Okay, anyway. So Abraham's response when God tells him, hey, you know Sodom and Gomorrah are desperately wicked. I'm going down to check out the things that I've heard because a great cry has risen up about the evil things they're doing. Abraham, our forefather, his gut reaction was to say, Lord, I know you. You would not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. I know you wouldn't. And he begins systematically over and over, getting to smaller and smaller numbers, asking God to not destroy what might be hundreds of thousands of evil people for the protection and safety of a very small number of righteous people. When you hear, pray for Babylon, and your father is one who prayed for sodomites, Is that what you do? Is that what you do for the filthiest and the vilest and the most evil? You pray for them? According to Jesus, Jeremiah, and Abraham, yes. Yes. We pray for the good and blessing of the city. And God, through Jeremiah, wraps up all of these commands by telling us the city being blessed is how you are going to get blessed. It's actually mutual. You are a blessing to them by showing them Yahweh, but you receive blessing as they are blessed. You are just supposed to be upstream of culture. Go transform it. Unleash your children like arrows into the culture. After putting down roots, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, train and disciple those families, shine the light and love of Jesus Christ to a world not necessarily looking for it. And as things go well in Babylon, things go well for you. Your destinies are gonna be tied together because I said so, I'm your creator and I have put you in exile for a while. Don't worry about verses 11 through 14. It's gonna get great later on. Yes, I have an incredible promise and a blessing for you. Right now I have an assignment. Anybody ever wanted the blessing but not excited about the assignment? I want the end result, but I don't want the work. So here's your next step what I'm gonna invite you into, and if you've been reading the handout that was on your chair, you already know what we're doing. This is over the next couple of weeks. I wanna ask you to do, if you call ARCF home, please join one of the churchwide, uh, the, join our churchwide discussion this week, and actually it's gonna be over the next two weeks, by attending one of our groups. If you're already in a group, you don't need to do anything. Just show up to your regular group at your normal time. Um, I'm going to send out instructions tomorrow for a couple of Zoom meetings for those that would rather do that. 
Um, but basically, the elders are already kind of fanned out, but we're going to fan out and um, we're going to make ourselves available in leading a discussion about how do we love and serve Babylon? How do we plant gardens? How do we influence culture? How are we a blessing to our city? And um, many of you guys already know, we already sent out a survey back in February about, hey, what are your thoughts about church name? Now, I want to connect some dots because I've done a very poor job communicating this, and I, and I apologize. Um, you can change the name of your burger stand to sell more burgers, right? You can change the name of your hotel because your mom thinks it's a good idea and it's Mother's Day, okay? A church, however, those of us who love Jesus, we read our Bible, we already know who we are and what we're up to, like what we're doing in the world, our mission. Okay? When a church considers changing our name, there's one primary, there, there are a few considerations, but there's one primary consideration that I want to put before you that I haven't yet, and I just need to say it out loud. Christians already know who we are and what we're doing. Somebody who has never, ever darkened the door of a church, they don't know. They don't know, okay? If you were a space alien and we landed here from, from Mars, you were a Martian, and, but you knew English for some reason, and you went over here to Burger King and you saw the sign, you'd immediately know that they sell burgers because burger is in the name. Okay? What does McDonald's sell? What? Other than garbage, what does McDonald's sell? Here's the, here's the deal. McDonald's has built such a powerful and consistent brand now for 80, 90 years, everyone already knows. Okay? And that's a little bit like how insider church language operates. You just assume. Everybody knows. And so um, I want to say that as a part of these discussions, we already preached on unity. I'm going to keep praying for unity. My hope against all hope, my big wish, my big wish between me and Jesus is that the Spirit would move inside of us to make us truly one as a church and, and be really excited about one idea. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I've been praying for. Um, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to toss it to the elders and run. It's going to be great. You guys make the decision. I'm out. Bye. Um, but no, what I'm praying for is, is, hey, the whole spirit of the church going, oh, I bet we could reach a lot of Babylon that way. Oh, I bet, I bet that direction would help us really serve Babylon well. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. So I send out an email tomorrow of here where the Zoom options for groups to be a part of this discussion. My apologies to the normal groups. We're taking one week off of whatever your normal Bible study is. We're gonna take one week to have this discussion about how to love and serve our city. I think it's gonna be really, really good. I'm excited about it, all right? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna go. And make sure to sign up for Bible Day Camp on your way out if you haven't already. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us how to love our enemies? Lord, would you teach us how to pray for our enemies? Um, and even more, Lord, you, you've told us that our true enemies are not flesh and blood. Um, we fight against the dark things that deceive Babylon, have deceived our city. 
And we wanna see your love flow through us toward this great city. God, I'm thinking of the end of the book of Jonah where it's so clear that your compassion is great. God, would you please change our hearts, those of us who love you, to make us more and more compassionate for Citrus Heights? Please change us, God. Make our hearts exactly yours. God, we confess that we are consumeristic to the nth degree and we are really good at just demanding what we want. Um, And Lord, from my own wounds growing up in church, I see seven different name options on a sheet and all I can think of is people getting bent out of shape and forming tribes. Lord, I take all of my fear and I lay it down at your cross right now. I take that sick feeling that I have in my stomach that really is no representation of ARCF at all. This is a very loving church. I lay down my cares and I cast them on you for you care for me. God, we as a church, we take to whatever degree we have not loved and served Babylon as much as we ought, to whatever degree, Lord, we ask your forgiveness and we thank you for your leadership into what is next. Because we're still here and that means you are not done with America, you are not done with California, you are not done with Citrus Heights. Until you come back, you are not done. And we affirm that to ourselves. We thank you for your consistent and proactive mercy on undeserving people like us. And we ask you, please, Lord Jesus, let us be a part. Give us lives that matter. Help us to put in our 70 years with courage and love. And we praise you and thank you that when the time is up, you have blessing for us. In the strong name of Jesus, God's people said, amen. Amen. Take that little sheet with you guys and bring it to your group. I love you. Have a good week. About where I would have been without you